It's Gary Parish. It's Tuesday, April 2nd, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I want to start with the biggest college basketball story of the past 48 hours, and that's John Calipari's lifetime contract with Kentucky. It was announced Monday, just a few hours after our friend, Seth Davis, from CBS Sports and The Athletic, reported that UCLA offered Calipari a six-year $48 million contract. And let's just stop right here for a minute and laugh about how hilarious it is that UCLA tried to lure John Calipari, reportedly, by offering him a pay cut. He makes $9.3 million per season at Kentucky, and UCLA offered him $8 million per year to take an inferior job in a market with a drastically higher cost of living. I mean, uh, I know there are smart people running this thing. I think there are smart people running this thing. But offering John Calipari a pay cut is about the dumbest thing I can imagine. What is UCLA doing, Norlander? Don't – you know what? I don't quite get it. I do. I want to believe that the powers that be at UCLA are are smart enough to realize where the job stands in the greater landscape of college basketball at this point. Um, I don't think it's a top ten job. I do think it's a top twenty job, and it's a top ten all time program. If you're a UCLA fan that wants to say we're a top five all time program, I think the legacy of John Wooden and the titles and all that stuff. I think you still might have a case, and UCLA still is a blue blood. It's one of the six, you know, traditional blue bloods. You know, one of the six big houses, if you will, in college basketball: Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, Carolina, UCLA, Indiana. I'd say those are the six, and then you've got uh, others, other programs that are really knocking on the door of that and, and have a valid case. One of them is playing to the Final Four. Michigan State, no doubt about it. Louisville, absolutely. Villanova, with your titles, if you want to say you have a case, I think you've got one there as well, uh, but I am digressing. The number is interesting to me. Um, I will say this. So when like there was scuttle, all right, I got a call from a coach like three weeks before this stuff started leaking out that said, um, I'm hearing like Cal might be just getting involved with the UCLA job on some level. And instinctively, I was reluctant to believe that. And then heard from someone else not there, not long thereafter. And I thought, okay. And I still never believed that Calipari was ever leaving Kentucky for UCLA. Let me be very clear about that. I never thought that was going to happen, Parrish. Um, but... <laughs> But I do think this was brilliant by John Calipari because I think it set him up for the one final deal of his life that he could have gotten this year, next year, the year after. I never believed that he was going to go to the NBA because, again, to, to, to do that kind of move, one, he'd want the power of a GM. Don't think he'd ever get that. Two, he'd want to go to the right spot. Well, would there ever be the, the stars ever aligning for that? And he was already getting paid so much by Kentucky, and he is the mayor of Lexington. So uh, with all of this and it then leaking out eventually that uh, UCLA had requested permission to, to Kentucky and Cal himself tweeting, uh, my school and I, Kentucky, have openly talked about um, the steps we take next, uh, coming off, you know, a tough loss, to say the least, in the NCAA tournament. He sets himself up for life and is the highest-paid coach in college basketball, more than Mike Krzyzewski, from what I can tell, at least through Duke and et cetera, et cetera. Who knows if uh, Krzyzewski and what he is making from Nike, I'm not, I don't really care. Calipari and Krzyzewski are the two richest coaches in the game right now. And so from that po- standpoint, GP, I thought this was a masterstroke, just in terms of him getting that one more deal, that, quote, lifetime deal. Also, you know, kind of goes without saying, but we might as well say it. This 
this also benefits in recruiting in a significant way just to uh, <laughs> to reassure that for the 14, 15, and 16-year-olds out there, um, not that there was ever much of a doubt Cal was leaving, but uh, things are things are set in stone. This is not Nate Oates getting a new deal at Buffalo. There's no one that is buying John Calipari out of his Kentucky contract. I am saying that is a lock of locks. No one will buy him out. It's too much money at this point. He will retire. Um, whatever that is, three, six, nine years from now, he will retire from Kentucky, and that will be his final job. The other genius part of it is it completely changes the story. You know, basically 24 hours after he just got eliminated from the NCAA tournament yes. before the Final Four for the fourth consecutive year and for the third time in that four-year span by a lower-seeded team. For the second year in a row by a lower-seeded team missing a key player. And that led to people asking all sorts of big questions about John Calipari. And then 24 hours later, you know, they're talking about a lifetime contract for John Calipari. So it's brilliant in that regard as well. Like it, it, it just changes the conversation. Um, but I'll, I'll just circle back to UCLA real quick. What are you doing? Like, if you really want to prove to the world, like I had a guy tweet me earlier tonight. Here's what he said. Um, he appears to be a UCLA fan and well, I don't know where it is, but basically his point was, I've got it right here. He said, can the national media pick a lane, please? Is UCLA supposed to meekly accept that it is a faded power and act in accordance with its second-class status, like Pete Thamel, Gary Parrish, and others suggest? Or should it throw its weight around like a blue blood? Um, I'm fine with you throwing your weight around. But six years, $48 million to John Calipari ain't throwing your weight around. That's insulting. It's just silly. Like, you want to throw your weight around? Offer John Calipari 10 years, $120 million. That's throwing your weight around. Yeah. That's something that can get him to maybe at least look at you. But offering John Calipari less money per year to take a inferior job to the job that he has, ruin his legacy at Kentucky, and live in a, a market with a much higher cost of living is insanity. Like, that's not throwing your weight around. That's, that's just being stupid and wasting your time and getting embarrassed on a national level. That's all. Nobody looked at UCLA's offer to John Calipari and said six years, $48 million. Ooh, UCLA's serious. It's like, what are you offering $48 million to John Calipari for? $8 million a year to a guy who makes $9.3 million a year? Like, it's just dumb. It'd be like if um, a comparable network came to you, a comparable, another network, but a lesser network came to you and said, Matt Norlander, we know you're happy where you're at, but we want you to be our college basketball insider. Um, so we're going to offer you to come to our inferior website um, less money than you're making right now. What? <laughs> Why would I do that? Doesn't make it. That doesn't make any sense. And yet that is what UCLA asked John Calipari to do. It makes no sense. Yeah, and it does ring. All right, so two thoughts on that. Um, like if you if you want to offer six years, forty eight million dollars to Tony Bennett. Yeah. Maybe that makes some sense because Tony's not making it anywhere close to that. Right. But you can't offer less money per year to John Calipari and expect anything other than what you got. All right. So three thoughts. One, agreed um, with Tony Bennett and and Chris Beard, by the way. Uh, I think we will see both of them have uh, notable public contract extensions come about within, say, two, three weeks tops. Um, and also on that note, you know, the L.A. Times published story. We'll get to that in just a second. But it, it basically said, 
high-profile candidates had, had turned away interest. I take that to be more than Cal. I, I think you're dumb if you're UCLA and you're, you're not trying to get Bennett and Beard at least on the phone. I would think that happened, and, and hell, their seasons are still going on, but uh, zero indication that those guys are going to leave for that. Um, all right, two other notes here, GP, um, with what you just said. Uh, I think UCLA got involved with this with Cal on a certain level to try and get itself back at that table, say we can do it. And I agree, it's it, the number is just too low for Cal specifically. Um, and it also it, it just has echoes of a little bit of how UCLA and the way it does things, it just falls that short as a program uh, with the real creme de la creme within college basketball. And I think UCLA is trying to get back to that level. I think there are real logistical hurdles uh, regarding that as well. Um, so, you know, I don't know if UCLA – I think I kind of think UCLA wanted this out there, even though it's a bad look to say, listen, we have we have tried. We tried to get the, the second biggest name in college basketball, and they're going to come up short of that, and now we have other candidates. I don't know if you want to go with those guys or you want to wrap up on this, but the floor is yours. Um, I, I would just say they didn't try. It doesn't prove that they tried. <laughs> Offering less money to John Calipari is not trying. Offering more money to John Calipari is is trying. Um, it's just, I, 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 I'm, and I trust the reporting. So like I, I you know, yeah. I, I, so it is what it is. But like, I, I don't understand how you could be running the UCLA coaching search. And think that offering six years, 48, like all you have to do to find out what John Calipari makes is Google it. it, it, it John Calipari's annual salary, boom, it's right there. He's making $9.3 million, I think, this year or next year. But it, like 9.3 is the number. you got to beat 9.3 for him to even look at you. And they went with eight a year. What? Like, it's just mind-boggling. And so here's my other question. And it's another reason why if you're John Calipari, you don't do it, um, even if they were offering more money. Uh, if John Calipari had his exact past 10 years at UCLA, would UCLA fans be happy with him? Like if he'd gone to four Final Fours, won a national championship seven seasons ago, hadn't been to a Final Four, though, in the past four years, been eliminated in the NCAA tournament by a lower-seeded team three of the past four years, I, I think UCLA fans would have him on the hot seat right now. Idiocy, if that's the case, might be the case. I want to believe that if you took Cal's exact past 10 years, recruiting rankings, total wins, Elite Eights, Sweet 16s, Final Fours, one national title, uh, that to for anyone to call that unsatisfactory is to be living in a, in a different, as, a, as an alternate universe, in my opinion. Ben Hallen went to three Final Fours in 10 years. Cal went to four in 10. Ben got fired. Cal got the title. I know. I know. But, like, I, I, how about this? I don't think he'd be fired at UCLA right now with these exact 10 years. I think they'd be talking about it. Yeah. I, th I think they'd be talking about it. When's he going to get another title? I mean, he doesn't go to the Final Four next year. What is the point of getting all these prospects? Um, it's, it's just a, it's an interesting place. So, to answer the guy on Twitter's question, uh, hey, man, you know, throw your weight around. If you want to, it doesn't matter to me. It ain't my money. There is no salary cap when it comes to uh, paying a college basketball coach. You pay them whatever you want. But throwing your throwing a forty six year forty eight million dollar contract at John Calipari is not throwing your weight around. It's just embarrassing yourself. It's like it's as if you don't have Google to 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 offer John Cal to offer John Calipari eight million dollars per year is to suggest you just don't have Google. 
Do they have Google at UCLA? Can you confirm that for me? I think they have some of the most advanced kind of uh, technology you could imagine at that university. <laughs> like, again, if you if you wanted to prove you were serious about getting a high-level basketball coach, go off for six years, $48 million to somebody who's making less money than that. Let's just start there. But to and, – and John will flirt with anybody. Like, I, I say this not as a shot, just as a fact. Like, he, he likes – uh, you know, he he likes the attention. So the idea that John will flirt with you and talk to you and listen to you um, shouldn't be surprising. He would he always listens, but he's not going to take a pay cut. I, I don't think this is a man who's ever taken a pay cut in his entire life, far as I know. But now he's going to take a pay cut, ruin his legacy at Kentucky, go to an inferior job and and with with a higher cost of living. And yes, he really does pay attention to all of that stuff. I think, and I was talking about this a couple of days ago on radio, yesterday on radio maybe. I think the first time I ever met John Calipari was right after he got the job at Memphis. And the reason I remember it that way is because I remember being in his office and there were boxes like still in his office. He had not even unpacked them. And we're just sort of like talking. So, you know, he's asking me, so you married? Do you have kids? And we're just getting to know each other. And he said, so where do you live? And I said, because at the time I lived in a place called Olive Branch, Mississippi. And uh, he said, where do you live? And I said, Olive Branch. And he said, Mississippi? And I said, yeah. First thing he said, oh, you're saving money on your property taxes. Like that was in his head. Like that, that was the thing that impressed him most, that I was savvy enough a- to live just outside of Memphis so I could save money on my property taxes. And here's the truth. I don't even know. I don't, I don't have any idea if that was true or not. But it is something that he recognized. He does keep score by money. And if you don't know that about him, you don't know anything about him. And now you're going to offer him $8 million a year when he makes 9.3. Just bananas. All right, let, let's move on. Okay. Let me ask you this. So now he's got a lifetime contract with Kentucky. And what that means, I gather, is that he's going to coach until he doesn't want to coach anymore, whenever that is. And then he will retire and be a paid ambassador uh, with UK for presumably the day he dies. I mean, because that's what lifetime contract means, right? So it's obviously a great deal for John Calipari. Is it a great deal for Kentucky? Um, okay, yes. Uh, here's why I say yes. And I'll try and keep this short here because we are aiming for a shorter than normal podcast. <laughs> Although we're really getting out to quite the run here. Um, I think it's a good deal for Kentucky because um, I'll 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 repeat myself. Uh, I think the the first decade of the John Calipari experience uh, at UK has been. Uh, an undeniable success. Um, you can frame it as a letdown if you look at the recruiting rankings and say there's only one national title, but he has still been to more Final Fours in that stretch than any other coach. Kentucky has been as relevant as any team in the country with Duke nestled right next to it. Um, Kentucky is a story in national college basketball almost Almost, not every week, but almost every week of the year. I mean, there there will be maybe a week, two week stretch in May or or July where something doesn't happen. But because of the draft, everything like and because of Cal and how he works, like Kentucky is constantly a story. And there's no reason to believe that although Penny is now uh, a force in recruiting and Duke is seems set up to continue to uh, sustain its momentum, that Kentucky is not going to be you know top oh, first, second, third at worst uh, when it comes to the recruiting rankings annually. Um, and so with that, you would think that they're still going to be on top of the SEC, set up for good seeds in most seasons, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think that's going to slow. Uh, with all that brings, you know, relevance. A Hall of Fame coach, oh, by the way, 
and, and really good players. Now, at, once he's done, I think it's good for Kentucky, barring you know any sort of uh, you know negative publicity that could come. You know, I'm not saying that this is you know it will happen. I'm just saying like the only the only way this backfires on you is if uh, Kentucky and Cal get into NCAA hot water or anything like that, and then obviously the association isn't good. Uh, but I'm not anticipating that. And then you've got kind of you know you've got. Uh, to a much larger degree, uh, the Joe B. Hall situation, where Joe B. Hall is beloved by Kentucky fans, uh, you know, still a presence there, and I think that's just, you know, in this era and in the size of Cal's personality, it just gets uh, all the more emphasized. It might not be great for the guy who takes over, obviously, because the same thing is going to happen with Krzyzewski at Duke. He is going to basically be in the same kind of role there, um, and to a certain extent, it's what Calhoun had at UConn for a number of years, although uh, much more behind the scenes, and now Calhoun's been, he's been coaching D3 for the past year, but uh, yes, all right. I'm shutting up. I do think it's a good thing for Kentucky. I do, too. Um, there's nobody you would prefer to be your basketball coach at Kentucky um, more so than John Calipari. Agreed. And I know that the argument against him is that he, quote, underachieves. Like, I got a lot of that on Twitter on Monday when this was announced. Oh, it looks like Kentucky will be underachieving for John Calipari's lifetime now, right? And I will say that if you want to label him that way, you th- th- there's some data to, to back it up. And the data would be this. He's been at Kentucky 10 years. He has only exceeded his preseason ranking in the NCAA tournament twice in those 10 years. Like, like where you're ranked in the preseason, do you get that far in the tournament or better? He's only done it twice in in 10 years. It was in 2011 when he was preseason number 10 and made the Final Four, and 2012 when he was preseason number two and won the national title. Every other year, 2010, preseason number four, lost in the Elite Eight. 2013, preseason number three, went to the NIT. But again, that's when Nerland's Noel tore his ACL. As I pointed out before, Kentucky was 17-6 and six overall, 8-2 and two in the SEC, five-game winning streak, 18th at Ken Palm before Nerland's got hurt. That team was going to the NCAA tournament, but... In fairness, probably would not have lived up to that number three preseason ranking. 2014, number one preseason, went to the title game, but lost. 2015, number one preseason, went to the Final Four, lost. 2016, number two in the preseason, lost in the round of 32. 2017, number two in the preseason, lost in the Elite Eight. 2018, number five in the preseason, lost in Sweet 16. This year, number two in the preseason, lost in the Elite Eight. So eight out of those ten years, where they finished in the NCAA tournament was was less than where their preseason rankings suggested they should finish. Um, so if you want to label an underachiever, just start with that stuff. But here would be my question. Would it be better for Kentucky to have somebody who can't create those preseason expectations via recruiting and then, and then overachieve relative to preseason expectations but still do less than what John Calipari has done? Because, I mean, Kentucky could get that. That was Tubby Smith. He'd get, he'd get less – done in recruiting so the expectations wouldn't be nearly as grand and then he could exceed them sometimes but is that really what you want i think where people make the mistake on calipari is that they judge him based on what they think he ought to be based on the recruits that he enrolls rather than judge him relative to what all other coaches actually are because relative to what all other coaches actually are, he's pretty incredible. As you point out, been to, 
been in Kentucky 10 years, nine NCAA tournaments. Only one he didn't make was when his best player tore his ACL. Um, otherwise, he'd be 10 for 10. He's been to seven um, Elite Eights in the past 10 years. He's been to four Final Fours in the past 10 years. And if you take it back to his last four years at Memphis, he's been in the Elite Eight 10 of the past 14 years and made the Final Four five times in the past 12 years. But if you just want to focus on Kentucky, 10 years, nine NCAA tournaments, seven Elite Eights, four Final Fours. He's been to more Final Fours in this span than anybody. Tom Izzo has three. John has four. Nobody else has more than two. So he's been to more Final Fours. He's been to twice as many, more Final Fours than anybody, twice as many as anybody except Tom Izzo. And I know he's only won one national championship, and that's another people, uh, another place where people bang on him. But only two men. Like, people say, yeah, but he's only won one. Well, who's won more than that? Two guys in the same span. Mike Krzyzewski and Jay Wright. That's it. So he's been to more Final Fours than anybody else. Been to twice as many as everybody but Tom Izzo. And only two dudes on the whole planet have won more national championships in the past 10 years. When you frame it like that, I don't get what people complain about, but... And, and I, I just think that's where that's where it falls apart a little bit. People want to want to decide what they think he ought to be and then say, well, he should be doing more. But even if you think he should be doing more, he's still doing more than basically everybody else in the country. I know, but it's it's harder to exceed even what he's done. And given the random nature of the NCAA tournament, I still think he's. He's exceeded expectations in that regard. One and you know, do or die, one and done kind of thing. And to make seven elite eights, I think, is outstanding. And when you're starting from a position of preseason one, two, three, four, five, then it's going to be extremely hard to out, outlive those expectations, outplay them within a single season. Um, he is the perfect fit for that job. I think there we will have another 200 years worth of Kentucky coaches, and no one will be a better fit for that job than John Calipari. I agree with that. Let's move on. Tom Izzo had some interesting comments on Tuesday. We're going to discuss them next, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So Tom Izzo uh, on Tuesday at a press conference in East Lansing before they travel to Minneapolis for the Final Four, said that he needs a second national title to validate his career. He was asked about 
um, the critics who say, yeah, but he's only won one title or he's only, you know, um, got one national championship in seven previous tip, uh, trips to the Final Four. And he said, I do need a second. The people who say, do you need a second? He needs a second title. He said, I do. I, I need to validate it for me. I don't need to validate it for them. He said, I have my own goals and dreams, and I have my own aspirations of what I want to do. What I want to do is put Michigan State University in rare air. And, you know, having multiple national championships as a coach is rare air. A whole bunch of people got one. Only 15 coaches to date in Division I men's college basketball have won multiple national championships. Right now, in, you know, in terms of active coaches, it's Mike Krzyzewski, it's Roy Williams, it's Jay Wright, and I believe that's it. Billy Donovan, of course, got two back-to-back at Florida. Um, but one of the points Izzo said is, he said, five years ago, if somebody would have said, I need another national title to validate my time at Michigan State, I would have wanted to fight them. But now I agree with them. Do you think Tom Izzo needs to win another national championship? perhaps this national championship, to, quote, validate his career. I don't think so, but whatever expectation Izzo wants to put on himself is his prerogative, and I can totally understand it from his perspective. When you've broken through this many times and only have one, and it came all the way back in 2000, uh, you got to start getting really hungry for that while still acknowledging, by the way, like Izzo making that many Final Fours. He's already a Hall of Famer. Like His career, from an on-court achievement perspective, needs no further validation at this point you're really chasing either an absurd number of final fours like it's, it's the level at which like you're trying to match wooden and Shashevsky essentially in calipari uh potentially although he even he even outpaces him at that at this point um you're trying to get higher in win total like crack the 700 800 900 win barrier and all that stuff um and then yeah if you can get national titles but he doesn't need it to validate it and he by the way he spoke about his university well here are the teams um with multiple national championships of schools ucla is first with 11 kentucky is second with eight unc is third with six then duke and indiana are tied in fourth place with five apiece UConn has four, and then Kansas and Villanova have three. Those are the only schools with at least three national championships. Michigan State right now is in a tie with six other schools. Louisville, Cincinnati, Florida, NC State, Oklahoma State, and San Francisco, shout out to 1955 and 1956 Dons, bosses, are the only schools with two titles aside from MSU. So that might be a list that's shorter or just about right than what people expect. But you get to three. Yeah, I think you just you raise yourself up and it, it puts Michigan State, um, it, you know, right there in that kind of conversation. It circles back to what I talked about before, the fact that UCLA, Kentucky, Carolina, Duke, Indiana, Kansas, the six traditional big houses, uh, Blue Bloods. And then I neglected to mention UConn, um, not out of spite. This is my home state. Uh, but UConn just obviously, you know, it's been a 20-year thing that they've really come on. But anyway, I'm digressing again. No, Izzo doesn't need it. Um, if he gets it, though, yeah, for himself and then for his program, uh, Michigan State really does – it just it, – it steps up a, a class. And then within those state borders, by the way, like Michigan's been really good as of late. Um, and you could have argued, uh, certainly like this time last year, like, you know, has Michigan really caught up with Michigan State, uh, you know, this, that, and the other. I think a title for Michigan State just creates a little bit further separation. You know, um, I, I'm with you. I don't think he needs it. Uh, he's going to go down as a – he's already in the Hall of Fame. He'll go down as an all-time great regardless of whether um, he gets another national title or not. But getting a second one does put you on a different list. Um, again, only 15 guys have ever done it. And what happens to him, 
to some degree, is the same thing that happens to people all the time in the sport. Like they accomplish these amazing things and then some people, and it's not necessarily us, but it, it becomes a thing where we go, yeah, but they haven't done this. So like if I told you when you start your head coaching career at the Division One level, you're going to go to eight Final Fours, win a national championship, you're like, whoa, that's amazing. I'll take that. And yet if he doesn't win this national championship, there will be people out there. It'll probably be a graphic on television. You know, Tom Izzo has been to eight Final Fours. He's only won one national championship. Like, it becomes a thing. Tony Bennett has been a number one seed X amount of times, but before last Sunday, had never, before last Saturday, had never been to a Final Four. These, you know, what you do gets celebrated to a certain degree. And then the conversation starts to be about what you haven't done. And it, it seems like Tom is starting to, to be aware of that uh, a little bit. And he said, again, he doesn't need it for the critics, but... Um, he's very aware of of what pe- some people have attached to his career. Yeah, great at getting to the final weekend, just not great getting out of the final weekend. Here would be my question, and I could have looked this up, and I will after we're done recording. Uh, how many times is Michigan State supposed to won, win a national championship when it got to the final four? Like, how many times has Tom Izzo gone to the final four with the best team? Good question. He's running to some, like, it wasn't 15. Last time they were 15, no shot was he favored. He wasn't favored in 09 when that was that awesome Carolina team. Um, what, 07 did they get there? 06 when the Florida teams? Nope, wasn't that. So not not often, if that's your question. Um, there have been some the, really good the, the answer might be never. It might be never. I, I don't have it in front of me either, Parrish. I don't know if there's ever been, at the start of a Final Four, uh, with the four teams in, the, in that Final Four, was Michigan the odds-on favorite to win? Maybe there has been one or two times, but I, I don't know off the top of my head. It's also like a little bit like his record against Mike Krzyzewski. Yeah. You know, everybody points that out, and I think now it's 2-11 and 11 yes. against Mike Krzyzewski. And, you know, I don't know that Tom has ever said this. He might have. But, like, how many times have I ever had a better team than Mike Krzyzewski? <laughs> and Mike actually said this in advance of the last time they played in the Champions Classic, or maybe after they beat him uh, last time they played in the Champions Classic. Mike was like, go look. He didn't come out and say it. He was like, go look at Tom's trash teams. Are you kidding me? He's going to lose to me? I don't think so. That's what Krzyzewski said, right? No, no. What he said was, like, go look at my record against just about anybody. (laughs) Like, who has a good record against me? I'm the GOAT. And there is something to that. Like, I know Tom's record against Mike isn't good, but, like, who's got a good record against Mike Krzyzewski? There there can't (laughs) be. Check me out against everybody. Uh, Mic drop. Pun intended. Anyway. Um. All right, fill in the blank time. You ready for fill in the blank? I am. Let's do it. Fill in the blank. Here is the question. The the best story, and this actually isn't a question. It's just a statement with a fill in the blank. Okay. <laughs> so I apologize. The best story from this Final Four would be fill in the blank. It's not quite as entertaining as a botch trivia time, but I'll take it. Um, Best story. Well... Entering the Final Four, correct? No, no. When this is all over, oh, if you could, if you could script it's, the way I, this Final Four unfolds, okay, this is easy. Okay, and say, okay, that would be the best story. What is it? It is Paris. There's no close. There's no close one. Um, I think heading in, uh, the path Chris Beard has had and the quick rise, I think that's the most enticing story heading in. But the best possible story this Final Four can give us would, I don't I don't think it's arguable, but maybe you'll argue with me. Um, Virginia winning the national title, which 
a year after losing to UMBC is the stuff of lore. Like, it is one of the all-time stories, so much to the point where if that happens, the UMBC loss is still infamous, it's still notorious, but then it's forever fused with a Virginia National Championship. So Virginia, they were the first one seed to ever lose to a 16. Oh, yeah, by the way, though, the next year they came back and they won the whole freaking thing. It actually takes a little bit of the mud off that loss because it's the ultimate redemption story, particularly for a program like Virginia, which you know has a good – it has a good – college basketball history but it's not you know it's not one of the top 20 programs of all time it doesn't have a national championship so so to get the first one would be epic I don't see how there's any other way um, that there could be a possibly a better story than that wouldn't you agree let me ask you this are you saying that because you believe it or because you've been bullied by Tony Bennett and you're worried about repercussions of saying anything other than that. Yeah, Tony Bennett gave me the elbow to the ribs in the back alley. That's the part that never got caught on camera. Uh, no, I do, I do believe it. And I've been saying that on CBS Sports HQ plenty. And I, I think I said on the podcast, um, I mean, I have, I really have believed since since Kansas kind of went sideways, Virginia has been my pick to win the title for months now. I, I'm, I'm not going to jump off that by any means. And I don't know how many results across American sports have a parallel to what that would be like because there's because professional sports doesn't even afford this opportunity for a loss that bad like even even when and this didn't happen but even when the Seattle Supersonics lost in the first round as a one seed to the Denver Nuggets back and I think it was 94 even if they had won the NBA championship the next season it wouldn't have been as big as this and college football can't give you um, a loss in the college football playoff that that is even close to that, and you never have programs that are even on the Virginia level in basketball to what they are in football, where they would be like say, you know, two and ten one year, and then the rally to go undefeated the next. The the it can happen in college football, but the sport is not built to allow that to happen, and so that's why I think this is so. Uh, distinctly and terrifically college basketball and I think that it sets up for what would be uh, what would be incredible trying to picture the scene of, of that on on Monday night would be uh, would be something and by the way I, I think that this, this is the likely outcome Virginia's the favorite uh, it's the odds on favorite you see any predictive metrics and simulations of the tournament that, that they Virginia is more likely to win than any other team um, not more likely than the field the field collectively the other three teams are still more likely than just Virginia but still um, I like how this sets up for the Cavs Bruce Pearl winning a national championship a year after a lot of people didn't think he'd remain the Auburn coach because of the FBI scandal would be a a tremendous story. Bruce Pearl, you know, uh, after being removed from the sport because of a show cause, winning a national title would be a tremendous story. Chris Beard, I mean, just like at Texas Tech, what? And I talked about this a little bit on uh, CBS Sports Radio and CBS Sports Network. Um, you know, it's one thing when a coach gets a school that isn't supposed to be in the Final Four to the Final Four in a fluky way, but like to do it, it with nothing. Like, there's nothing fluky about Texas Tech being in the Final Four. You know, they they've been a top ten team for some of this season. They established themselves as one of the best teams in the country very early in this season. The idea that you would like build Texas Tech into a legitimate Final Four contender 
into a legitimate national championship contender is incredible. Like, this isn't George Mason getting lucky and going to the Final Four or BCU or Loyola Chicago. This is like a guy built a legitimate Final Four team in Lubbock, Texas. Like, in back-to-back years. Like, it's crazy. So that would be an awesome story. And Tom winning a second national championship to become just the 16th guy to at the Division One men's level to, to win multiple national championships. Incredible story. But, yes, I'm with you. Um, there's no better story than, than Virginia a year after becoming the first one to lose to a 16. Uh, a year after that, winning a national championship. That's, that is the best story. That's the one you make a documentary about. That's the one you make a movie about. I don't know if we'll get it, um, but if you're looking for the best story, Yes, that is the best story. Before we get out of here, it happened on April Fool's Day, but it was not an April Fool's joke. Rick Bird, the GOAT, has retired from Belmont. I could not end this podcast without asking you about it. Well, on a personal note, uh, I'm let down that uh, that Bird didn't give me the scoop, obviously. I mean, this was something I'd been building my entire career toward. And I come to find out in an email... From Belmont, an official release? Are you kidding me? It's offensive. Like we got, we got, we got that dude his best player. I know. He the on college basketball podcast, and he can't even send you a text like, "Hey, Norlander, I'm about to change. I'm about to alter your world. I wanted to make sure you heard it from me first. I am stepping away from the sport of college basketball. Can't even get that. Disappointing. It is disappointing, Rick. I know you listen to every minute of every podcast we do. <laughs> Actually, there's zero shot. That's true. Um, but I'm disappointed nonetheless. I did reach out to him, of course. Uh, had a few minutes to cry, and then I composed myself. Uh, you're going to be okay. And so, here, so listen, he is a tremendous coach. One, I honestly do think he's really one of the greatest offensive minds ever in college basketball, all joking aside. That's kind of why I've just been a, a Rick Bird fanboy after all these years. So the game will be missing him in that regard, and he, uh, he has disciples out there, and I think that we will look back in 10 to 15 years with the way that I think college basketball is destined to evolve and see what Rick Bird was doing in the late 90s into the 2000s and see that he was uh, as ahead of his time as maybe any coach. Um, so... Uh, in terms of who will get the Belmont job, I think it's a lock. It's either Casey Alexander, former uh, player for Rick Bird and assistant at Belmont, who now has Lipscomb in the NIT title game. Hello. Or it will be the sitting associate head coach, Roger uh, Brian Ayers. Sorry, Roger Ayers is official. Brian Ayers is the, is the assistant at Belmont. It will be one of those two guys. I'd be stunned if it wasn't one of those two. As for Bird, um, loves to play tennis, going to have a lot of time to play some tennis, and is a great golfer. Now, I'm going to share this because he didn't want me to put this out there while he was still active. But you know what? You retired, Rick, and you didn't give me the scoop. So Rick Bird actually, um, for a number of years, in addition to being one of the goats in college basketball coaching, he he gets to go to golf courses and review them and writes about them for, I believe it's Golf Digest, and like helps rate them. Like, Dude is a savant uh, on the golf course, and so now he gets to – continue doing that which is obviously just a huge passion in his life um really one of the better gigs in in stepping away from coaching to just help to get to kind of rate and review golf courses across the country he is i would i would venture uh, and posit that rick bird has probably played uh more incredible golf courses across the world than anyone maybe in maybe in all of american sports like roy williams is known for how great of a golfer he is how much he loves it plays augusta and stuff i think birds like got him way easily beat so just a little bit of a a bird nugget there and maybe one day he actually says he's going to give me lessons like i've actually 
uh, if we're really going down my Rick Bird uh, uh, <laughs> rabbit hole here. But I've actually, I've actually like been on the course, had like a difficult shot, and I've either um, taken a photo or texted or called Rick Bird and be like, "What kind of club should I use here?" Sometimes <laughs> it's worked. Sometimes I'm terrible and it doesn't work. But yeah, that has actually happened. So anyway. You're going to leave your wife for Rick Bird and just play golf the rest of your life, aren't you? I Well, I tweeted on Sunday that I was leaving my wife for the NCAA tournament. My wife got an absolute kick out of that and then uh, made a comment that's not good enough to repeat on a, a podcast, jokingly. Um, but, yeah. But if it's not the tournament, then, yeah, Bird is a possibility. <sighs> Rest in peace to the GOAT. Okay. He's not dead. How dare you? I, I mean, but he's – from a college basketball coaching perspective, he has passed away. Uh yes, it is. Uh, it is. A, I appreciate you giving me the, the time to to talk about that on this podcast as we wrap up. And by the way, as we as we wrap up here, um, we're both headed to Minneapolis. I am packing the proper equipment for Parrish and I to do a face to face podcast. I don't suspect it's going to be like we're doing it in the middle of uh, the Mall of America or anything like that. Um, I think we need better planning to give listeners uh, advance notice, but I think we could have a fun podcast or two in Minneapolis. I think our plan, schedules depending, will be to do the next podcast, our third of the week on Friday, get a little bit of the, the stuff coming out of, uh, of Thursday and perhaps even early Friday out of Minneapolis storylines-wise. And then we obviously will dedicate that podcast to talking about the games because we'll have plenty to talk about, making our picks, all of that. And uh, we'll have at least two, if not three, podcasts. But I would think it will be two uh, podcasts from Minneapolis uh, talking about the Final Four and then setting up the national title game. I can't wait. I'll be there on Thursday afternoon. You're going tomorrow on Wednesday. I'm going uh, Thursday morning. And uh, no, it's going to be fun. It's not the final four that I anticipated. It's not the final four that um, would have taken a run at television ratings records. But it is a, a final four with some nice storylines. And uh, looking forward to, to the games on Saturday, to the championship game on Monday, to getting back home for the first time in forever. <laughs> Uh, on Tuesday. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry. MF and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And thank you guys for hanging out with us uh, for another episode of the Ion College Basketball Podcast. If you have not subscribed yet, uh, please go do so via Apple Podcasts. That's the best way to make sure you get the episodes ASAP. Um, while you're there, if you got a second, rate it favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. Uh, if About both of us, that's fine. But Make sure it's at least nice about me. Uh, Norlander, I, I, I don't care nearly as much about that part of it, but with me, I'd like for the stuff to be nice. So five stars, nice comments, and like Norlander said, we're going to talk to you again on uh, Friday. Till then, take care.